Hi, I'm Josh Van Berkel. Welcome to the Activate Christchurch podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. I hope you enjoy it. And if you ever find yourself in Christchurch, pop in and say hello. We'd love to see you. All right, if you walked in a little bit late, you didn't hear my introduction earlier, I am Josh, that is me. And it's fun being the pastor here at Activate. We're going to look at the book of Acts uh, this morning. Uh, Quick story. A couple of weeks ago, Liz and I were driving home late at night. I think we'd gone out for a a date night or something like that. And we're driving home and we get off the motorway because we live out in in North Canterbury. And as we pull off the motorway, uh, there is a guy standing on the side of the road hitchhiking. It's like 9.30 at night. He's in the dark. He's got a little wee travel case down at his feet. He's got a shock of white hair, like Albert Einstein. Looked like he was kind of in his mid to late 40s. And, and he just, I picked him up in the car headlights, and it all happened so fast, because you're driving quite fast out in the country. I had this thought, I should pull over and pick the hitchhiker up. But I don't normally pick up hitchhikers because I had it hammered into me when I was younger that hitchhikers stab you in the back of the neck. So... I've never really picked up that many hitchhikers. But then I thought, at the same time, I thought, oh, it's cold, it's wet, it's dark. Like, what would Jesus do? And, and just in a fit of, like, charity, I pulled the car over. I slammed my feet on the brakes, and I pulled her over. And Liz is like, what are you doing? And I said, I'm picking up the hitchhiker. She said, what if he stabs us in the back of the neck? And uh, I said, that's all right. He's going to be sitting behind you. Um, I said, I don't think he'd get to both of us before I could get out of the car. So, But the joke was on me because when I pulled over, he went to hop in the back seat and we had a whole bunch of stuff in it. He had to come right round and sit behind me. So now I'm in the fire line. So we pick up this hitchhiker and uh, we're driving him back to his house. And so, you know, you, you say, where are you going, mate? He said, oh, I'm just down here. And so I'm trying to get the conversation going as much as I can because my rationale is that guys can't do two things at once. So if I can keep him talking, he can't stab me. That's sort of what I was thinking. And so we drive for about 10 minutes, and I'm like, mate, what are you doing on the side of the road at 9.30 at night in the dark? And he said, well, I just flew in from Auckland, and I had no one to pick me up from the airport. So I hitchhiked out to here, and then I'm trying to hitchhike home. And I said, how long were you standing on the side of the road? He said, oh, about half an hour. I said, it's pretty cold. He said, yeah, it was. I was feeling pretty proud of myself about now. And so I said, well, you know, why didn't you have anyone to pick you up? And he didn't want to get into details, but relationship breakdown, and he'd moved out of his house. And so he was kind of living at the sleep out in somebody's back, you know, backyard out in the country. And I said, well, what do you do for a job? And he said, well, I, I don't have a job at the moment. He said, but I, I'm a chef. I'm a qualified chef. And I thought, huh, because the week before I was talking to a mate of mine who owns a cafe, And he was talking about how his chef had just walked out and he needed a chef, but chefs are really hard to find. And so I said to him, dude, I might be able to hook you up with a job. Like, you need to give my mate Steve a call. And I told him the name of the cafe. And I said, and just tell him you're a chef and you're looking for work and he might have something for you. And so he said, oh, I'll do that, man. Thank you. And he kind of hopped out and we carried on home. And the next day I get a phone call from my friend Steve. He says, hey, did you give my name to a hitchhiker that you picked up last night? And I said, uh, what did he look like? He said, well, mid-40s, white hair. I said, yeah, I did do that. And uh, he said, it's pretty random, man. I said, well, he just said he was looking for a job. He said, well, he said, I've just hired him because I need a chef. And he just walked in off the street and said, he said he's immensely qualified. And so I thought to myself, how awesome is that? Remember a couple of weeks ago, I said, whenever I try and do stuff like this, it always ends up bad and then everyone laughs at me. I thought, how good is that? Pick up a hitchhiker, he gets a job. Pretty sweet. 
You're all looking at me like, is that the end of the story? <laughs> it's not. <laughs> so Steve rings me like three days later. I'm like, mate, how's old Albert Einstein working out? He goes, dude, I'm not even joking. He's crazy. He said, I'm not talking like just a little bit. I'm like off the chart crazy. He said, my entire staff, my kitchen staff, my front of house staff, all of them have handed in their resignations. They're all quitting. He said, he's come in. He's rearranged the whole kitchen. No one knows where anything is anymore. And he said, and I've just caught him hiring a random person off the street. So he said, I've actually just had to fire him so I could hire all my stuff back. So he said, yeah. He said, don't, maybe don't refer hitchhikers to me before. So I thought, you know, that story had a really good middle Yet again, I'm like, oh, man, God, trying to do the right thing. Anyway, I didn't get stabbed, so that's a good thing. Uh, Why did I share that? I just thought it was funny. (laughs) I thought, Josh, you know, but I want you to know, you've got a pastor who's trying things. Like, I'm trying to, um, I reckon the other day I I noticed something about myself that I didn't like, and that was that I was a little bit too self-obsessed. A little bit too focused on my life, like not just me personally. Like I'm vaguely aware I've got kids and a wife and stuff, but um, you know, like I'm just on my life, my stuff, my house, my family, my church. It's very easy to just get siloed into this, and there's a whole world of people out there that need help. And you know what? Even if all he got was a ride home from the side of the road in the dark and the rain, that's still you know what Jesus would have done. I would do it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would do it again. Yeah, I'd probably frisk them first. Then I'd do it again. But um, anyway, we've got we've to be able to get out of our own head sometimes and just help people, man. And it doesn't always take the earth, like John was sharing last week. You know, take a guy to a gas station, put 10 liters of petrol in his can. I mean, that did cost him $700, but still. Anyway, we are working through the book of Acts this morning. Okay, we're going to continue on from John's message last Sunday. So if you missed it last Sunday, a really quick recap. The apostles are in Jerusalem. They're in the temple. They're preaching the gospel. The religious leaders are pretty bent out of shape by this point because the apostles have a really annoying habit of telling everybody that this Messiah that they have been waiting for for thousands of years, that the prophets have been prophesying about for thousands of years, that was going to come and free them from the Roman oppression, this Messiah that they have been patiently waiting for, showed up, and they accidentally killed him. And so that's not making the religious leaders look that great. And so they bring the disciples in, and they say, shut up, essentially. Uh, but before they do that, they say, well, look, let's, let's throw them into prison. We'll give them a night to kind of cool it off, and they clangor. And so they round them up, they chuck them in prison. But during the night, an angel comes and opens the prison doors, and the disciples just walk out. And so when the morning rolls around and the court kind of convenes, the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, all of these religious guys, they pull together, they send for the disciples, and the jailer has to come back and say, oh, this is a little bit awkward, but they're not there. And in the middle of this conversation, like, well, where are they? How did they get out? What on earth is going on? Somebody else shows up and says, I found them. They're back at the temple and they're preaching again. And so they go, oh, for goodness sake. And so they round them up again, and they bring them back now for a second time. And that's where we pick it up. And so I'm just going to scoot through uh, the passage, and then we're going to have a look at it. If you're reading out of your Bibles, it's Acts 5, 27 to 42. Now, everyone knows that I've been on a little bit of a mini crusade 
recently to get people bringing their Bibles to church. And so as a very controlling and manipulative tactic, I stopped putting the Scriptures up on screen for a little bit just to kind of make my point, which I feel I have made. So I'm going to put the Scriptures up because it's also helpful for guests and stuff that don't know that this is the kind of church where you're supposed to bring your Bible. All right, so... Acts chapter 5, verse 27 says, The apostles were brought in, again for the second time now, and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. How impressive is that statement? You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. You have filled our entire city with your teaching. There is not a corner where you have not reached. There is not a nook. There is not a cranny. You have filled our entire city with your teaching. And we are talking weeks, maybe months, after Jesus gave them the job to do that. How many of us can say that we're filling the city with the... How many of us can say we filled our street with the teaching? These guys were on a mission from God. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. This is not going to go down well. These guys are already bent out of shape about being blamed for the death of Jesus. They pull these guys in, tell them to stop, and now they're getting a lecture face-to-face about what they've done wrong. God exalted him to his own right hand as Prince and Savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. That's a very fascinating verse. You could preach a whole message out of that, that the Holy Spirit is given to those who obey him. It does make you ask, well, what happens if you're not living in obedience to God? Anyway, verse 33, when they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. Interesting thing about that word furious. It's much more nuanced than that. In the English language, we have like, I'm angry, right, Anne? And then, oh, now I'm like really angry because we love adverbs in English. I'm really angry. It's like I was angry, but now you just put really in front of it and it's more, right? Or if I'm more angry, I might be really really angry. See, now I've got two adverbs in there. English is not that awesome. Probably, you know, really, really, really angry would draw the line at three, really. So then we might tip into furious. I'm, I'm just furious. And that's kind of like as angry as you can get, right? Furious. I think probably the only word that I can think of in English that might top that is apoplectic. Isn't that a good word? Apoplectic. It's like my face has gone red. I'm about to pop. I'm apoplectic. But in the Greek, they use this word diaprio which is a combination of two Greek words that when joined together means something absolutely wild. In the King James Version, it says that when they heard this, they were cut, which doesn't sound as bad as furious until you look at the Greek word. The Greek word diaprio literally means to saw in half mentally with a saw. It is taken from the word dia, which means through, as in all the way through something, And then another Greek word, which is shortened to priya, which is the Greek word that's used to describe what happened to the prophet Isaiah. A lot of people will know that there's a book called Isaiah in the Bible, written by a guy called Isaiah. What a lot of people don't know is that he died, according to Hebrews, after being sawn in half by a saw. 
that word, he was sawn in half, is the word that we take prayer from. So what the Bible is actually saying here is that they weren't just furious. Actually, they experienced what we would probably describe as a psychotic break. Something snapped inside of them. Something broke. They were hewn in two as if with a saw. They just lost all grip on reality and all perspective. It's only used twice in the entire Bible. It's used once here to describe what happened to them when the apostles stood up and said, you killed the Son of God, and it was just the straw that broke the camel's back, and they just snapped. And then it's used one other place in a couple of chapters' time when Stephen says to everybody, you killed the Son of God, and then he looks up and he sees Jesus at the right hand of God, and he says to them, I can see Jesus. It says the same thing happened. When they heard him say that, they snapped. They were cut in half. They were sawn in half mentally by a saw. Same thing. It's a very, very extreme reaction. So they were furious, and they wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. And then he addressed the Sanhedrin, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas, the Galilean, not the Judas that betrayed Jesus, appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. There's a whole message you could preach on that verse. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, that's Jesus. And day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. This is a really, really powerful story. Really, really powerful story encounter. These guys just cannot be stopped. And it's headed up in my Bible, the apostles persecuted. And so the temptation is to talk about, you know, persecution this morning. But actually, I think there's something that's on display in this passage, which is far more obvious and far more applicable to our life. And that is purpose. The disciples here were burdened with glorious purpose. Because in Acts chapter 1, Jesus said this to them before he ascended to heaven. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So he gave them a job to do. He said, your job is to fill Jerusalem with your stories. It's to tell people who I am and what I did. They had this incredible purpose. And because they had this purpose, they could not be stopped. I was lying in bed during the week and I was thinking about what I was going to share this morning. And that phrase, I am burdened with glorious purpose, popped into my head. And I was like, who said that? Was that, was that sounds like a Winston Churchill quote. Was that Winston Churchill? I'm burdened with glorious purpose. You know, sounds like something he would say. We will fight them on the beaches. I am burdened 
with glorious purpose. Doesn't he, can you see Winston Churchill saying that? Or maybe it's like John F. Kennedy. Uh, I thought maybe it was like just a, a famous historical figure. Like maybe it was Neil Armstrong. Maybe he did an interview before hopping into Apollo 11. And he said, I'm burnt. And I'm like, I, can't, I know someone famous said it, but I don't know who it is. So I got up and I Googled it. And I was like, ah, oh, of course. It's Loki from Thor. <laughs> huh. But... So not quite the awesome, you know, historical figure that I was hoping it would be. But the, the, my point still remains, right? Like, that's a great line. I'm burdened with glorious purpose. And the apostles were. They were burdened with glorious purpose. And so what I want to talk to you about this morning, look at this. It says that the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin. And look, they filled Jerusalem. They've done it. They've done what Jesus asked them to do. Step one. What was step two? Fill Samaria. Step three, fill all of Judea. Step four, fill the world. They were on a mission. And so what I want to talk to you about this morning is three things that purpose brings. And it rhymes, so it should be easier to remember. I almost called it Josh Sings Three Things That Purpose Brings. But then I would have to be like, point number one. And I didn't want to do that. I thought it would be helpful for you to remember. So three things that purpose brings. Are you guys cool? We're going to go on a journey for 15 minutes, and then we're going to call it a day. Is that okay? All right, three things that purpose brings. Uh, The first thing that purpose brings is purpose brings persistence. When you look at the disciples, they were just persistent. They persevered. Nothing could stop them. Let me ask you a question. If you got arrested and you got thrown in prison, and you knew that you had to appear in court the next morning in front of the same guys that executed your leader and friend, and then an angel came in the middle of the night and opened the prison, what would you do? Do you know what I wouldn't do? I wouldn't immediately go back to the exact place that I got arrested and start doing the exact thing that I got arrested for. I wouldn't do that. I'd probably go home I'd be like, okay, guys, was this a sign from God that maybe we should move on to another area? You know, let's kind of you know, recalibrate perhaps. Let's reconvene. Maybe God's calling us over here. These guys are like, nope, we're just going to keep going. We're going to keep going. I want to tell you something this morning. Sometimes I think that we feel like we have like an energy problem. I've got like a lack of energy I've got like, I'm tired. I think I've got an energy problem. I, I think sometimes we don't have an energy problem. We have a purpose problem. Sometimes like, I just, I'm not really committed to this particular course. I'm, I, just, I, I have a trouble sticking with stuff. I, I kind of feel like I might want to quit or I might want to try something different. It's not that you have a, a quitting problem or a sticking problem. It's that you have a purpose problem. When you have purpose, you have persistence. You have perseverance, right? Look at what James wrote. In chapter 1, verse 4, he says, Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. This is the goal. One of the goals is to achieve spiritual maturity, to come to a place of spiritual completeness where you don't lack anything. And when you read through the fruits of the Spirit, you go patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control. You don't look at it and go, oh, patience, I lack that. Oh, self-control, I lack that gentleness, I lack that. When James says the power of life and death is in the tongue, you've got to control the words that come out of your mouth. You go, oh, I lack that. That's not the goal. The goal is to not lack anything. And the way that God has created a system to bring us to that place is through perseverance. 
That word perseverance is a Greek word, hupomene. That Greek word hupomene literally means the characteristic of a man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose. You cannot persevere without purpose. You have to have purpose in order to persevere. If you're sitting here this morning, you're like, man, I struggle to persevere. I'm struggling to persevere. Take a step back and re-examine purpose because purpose brings perseverance. We good? Happy with that one? Yes, okay. Purpose brings perseverance. Purpose brings persistence. Uh, then we jump back into the Scriptures. We go to the part where uh, Paul, uh, Peter and the apostles are standing before the Sanhedrin. And Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. And then they lecture these religious leaders about what they've done wrong. You see, Peter and the apostles were not prepared to allow the religious leaders to just carry on being religious leaders unchecked. They weren't going to tolerate being told by these guys, you're not allowed to preach. They said, no, we're not tolerating that. They weren't prepared to tolerate being told, you can't tell people about Jesus. They said, no, no, you can't stop us. We're not going to tolerate that. Let me tell you something. We have a real issue in the world today with tolerance. We're fighting a war against tolerance. And the problem is that Christians and the church do not understand the difference between tolerance and love. Because the Bible is very clear we are called to love people. We're called to love each other to such a degree that everybody outside of our circle looks in and goes, man, what is happening in that place? The love they have for each other. We're called to love our enemies. But nowhere in the Bible will you find any instruction to tolerate something. Love is all about seeking what is good for the other person. Tolerance is about seeking to be seen as good in the other person's eyes. Love is rooted in God's character. When we partner with who God is, when we partner with His words, with His values, with His truth, love is what comes out. Tolerance is rooted in the world. When we partner with the world's words, the world's values, and the world's truth, tolerance is what comes out. Love is about what is best for Rosie. If I look at Rosie and I love Rosie, then I will say whatever Rosie needs to hear in order for the best to happen in Rosie's life in partnership with the Holy Spirit. Tolerance says I'm more interested in Rosie thinking I am good. Does that make sense? And the church has got the two very, very confused. Love, absolutely, yes. Tolerance, no. Here's the thing. Tolerance starts where passion stops. Or where passion stops, tolerance starts. Purpose brings passion. When you're passionate about something, it overflows. If you've ever been around a young man who's got a girlfriend, man, like, stop talking about your girlfriend, man. It's driving me crazy, like, Passion. If you've ever been around a young woman who's just got a boyfriend, man, passion. Like, passion overflows. But here's the thing. When we are passionate about something, we do not tolerate anything less than the best in that area. When we're not passionate about something, that's when tolerance creeps in. I am not passionate about cars, like I said the other week. And so I tolerate a lot of stuff when it comes to my vehicles that other people that are passionate about cars would not tolerate. I have an issue with my driver's wing mirror. 
You know, you push the button on the door and your wing mirrors go, and then you push it again and they go, back out. Well, I was playing with that one day because I just hadn't pushed any buttons in my car for a while. And I pushed it and they went, and I went, and then I pushed it again and they went, but when they opened back up, the wing mirror on my driver's side decided it hadn't opened up. And so even though it was fully open, it kept going, and I thought, huh. So I pushed the button again and it went, all right, it's all right. Push it again. So I had to drive around for a couple of weeks with my radio on really loud. But after a while, I got annoyed having to listen to the radio the whole time. And so I pushed the button and it went, and it shut. Oh, problem solved. So then I drove around for a couple of weeks with my wing mirrors in, but it made other drivers angry. I'm not even joking. I'd be driving down like by the airport like where there's two lanes. I'd be driving along, minding my own business. A car comes up behind me, honk, 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 flashlights, honk, honk. I look over. He's like, your wing mirrors are in. And I'm like, I know, they're broken. <laughs> like, dude, like, chill out, man. It happened like two or three times. I remember we came back from Hamna. Abel was driving behind me. We hopped out at a cafe. He's like, do you not like using your wing mirrors, man? Like, I was like, they're broken, man. They're broken. So eventually I'm like, okay, this is ridiculous. It's not safe. I've got to do something about it. So did I get them fixed? No, I just got Gene to cut the wire. <laughs> yeah, so now they don't work. At, like they work as a mirror, but you can't push a button and control them, you know, which is fine. But I've spent so many months like fiddling with them that now like all the tension's gone in the mirror. So when it gets too windy or I drive too fast, the wind blows the mirror in. So <laughs> if I'm driving down the motorway, I have to like wind my window down, push the mirror out, change lanes, wind my mirror back, wind my window back up, and the mirror goes, like, I tolerate it because I don't care about cars, right? I'm not, what, what you're passionate about, you don't tolerate in, right? And so purpose brings passion. And where there is passion, there is no room for tolerance. Love and passion can coexist perfectly, but passion and tolerance, no. And God is looking for passionate people. Look at uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 14. He says, He sacrificed Himself for us, that He might purchase our freedom from every lawless deed and to purify for Himself a people who are His very own, passionate to do what is beautiful in his eyes. God is looking for passionate people. That word passionate is translated zealous in other translations because it comes from a Greek word, zealotes, which is where we get the word zealots from. And it means someone that's burning with, like burning with zeal, eagerly desirous of, uh, to vehemently contend for. God wants passionate people that aren't prepared to tolerate on his values, to tolerate on his truth, that are more interested about looking good in the eyes of the world than they are about what is good for the world. And that passion comes from purpose. If you're struggling with passion, then again, take a step back and go, okay, why am I here? Why am I on this planet? What has God purposed for me to do? Because passion comes 
from purpose. One more. You ready for one more? Then we're done? Doing okay? Nathan, you good? All right. Everybody online, you guys give me a wave. Ah, awesome. Lots of hands. So many, so many hands. Thousands of people watching online. It's amazing. Ah. Uh, the, and the last one, so we've got purpose brings perseverance. We've got purpose brings passion. And the last one, we jump back and let's just read the scripture. It says, they called the apostles in and they had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. They didn't leave bitter. They didn't leave disappointed. They didn't leave broken. They didn't leave angry. They didn't leave resentful. They didn't leave, God, where were you? How could you let this happen to me? Their faith wasn't shaken. They left rejoicing, and that is because purpose brings perspective. I, I touched on this very briefly uh, last time I spoke, very briefly. But we need to shift from a temporal perspective to an eternal perspective. The apostles had an eternal perspective. They, everything that they experienced was filtered through this perspective of eternity. Everything that happened in them, that occurred to them, that came on them, was interpreted through a lens of eternity. And we need to have an eternal lens. Right? I, I said this a couple of weeks ago, but Jesus said, hey, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And then as soon as he said it, the next verse he says, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, Jesus said, I want you focusing on eternity. I want you focusing on heaven. I want you focusing on the idea that you are here for like a second, if that, in the scheme of things. Like the Bible says that we are like a vapor in the wind, like if you've ever been out on a cold day and you breathe out, there's a vapor that comes out and then it's gone. And Jesus is saying, hey, I don't want you focusing on the here and now. I want you to interpret everything, channel everything, filter everything through this lens of eternity. You know, Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. He says this, our momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all, talking about the momentary trouble. So Paul says, hey, listen, yes, it sucks right now, but we're actually achieving an eternal glory. This is a man that was focused on eternity. He says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Why do we do that, Paul? Why do we fix our eyes on the stuff that we can't see and not fix our eyes on the stuff that we can see? Why do we do that? Because what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. See, Paul says the reason we focus on the unseen is because what is unseen is eternal, and that's what we're supposed to be focusing on. We need to, as individuals, as a church, as the church, we need to shift from a here and now mindset to an eternity mindset. Shift from a temporal focus. Everything we do interpreted through temporal stuff. Listen, I'm all for having a good time. Anyone that knows me knows that I like having a good time. I like watching movies. I like getting out. I like going bowling and doing all this stuff, which you could say, look, well, there's not a lot of eternal value in that. I don't know. I think there's bowling alleys in heaven. And I want to be good when I get there. But, you know, so there's, there's obviously balance. 
But I know for my life that very often that balance is askew. Very often I am focused on temporary things, temporal things. I look at my back balance, temporary things. My spa breaks down and I'm like, ah, I can't afford to fix my spa. Like hashtag first world problems right there. Right, I can't afford to fix my spa pool. You know, or this, this morning, Liz sent me a photo. Um, she ripped the whole front bumper off the car on the way to church. Uh, here's the annoying thing, is that I sent her a message this morning, and I said, hey, I forgot my Bible, because I come into church early, so I sort of leave the house around 6.30, and I've got to try and do everything super quiet so I don't wake anybody up. So I've got to like get dressed in the dark and I'm like trying to find stuff and then I've got to sneak out and I've got to open the front door and squeak out. And so I forgot my Bible. And so I text her and I said, hey, can you please remember to bring my Bible? And then I had this thought and the thought was send her another text and say, if you've already left, don't worry about it. And I thought it and I was like, well, I do want my Bible and I've been telling everyone to bring their Bible. So it's not a great look, even though I could borrow one from church. But also I have a pet peeve about Liz not checking her phone. And so I was like, eh, no, I kind of, if she doesn't check her phone and then gets it like five minutes down the road, she probably deserves to turn around and go back, actually. Like, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> oh, just what I did there, guys, is I just undid all the good that I've done in the last 35 minutes. <laughs> I literally just saw 47 women. No, it, was, it wasn't that bad. I'm exaggerating. But I had this thought, right? I had this thought. Send her another text, say, if you've already got them, don't worry. Anyway, she sends me this photo of the car on the side of the road with the whole front bonnet ripped off it. The whole, you know, front bumper. So the top bit's, I don't know, the top bit's still there, but the whole front bit. You guys know front bit? Yep. And you know what I'm talking about. It's ripped off, right? And I was like, oh. And what happened was that she'd left home. She got like a minute up the road, saw my text, Tried to do a three-point, like, you know, do a bit of a three-point turn. Went a little bit too high up on the bank because we live out in the country. And then when she backed back out, it got caught on something. It just ripped the whole front bumper off. And so I'm like, ah, oh, was that the Holy Spirit telling me to probably, eh, Julie? Probably. <clears throat> but, you know, I get that photo. I'm like, oh, that's another thing. Like, but again, temporary focus. In the, in the light of eternity, will I care that my front bumper came off? No. How often do we respond to things, react to things, because we're reacting out of a temporal mindset? Temporary, earthly, worldly, oh, this affects me now, this way, instead of having an eternal focus. All right, so purpose brings persistence. Purpose brings passion. Purpose brings perspective. And there's actually one more thing that purpose brings. I'm going to give you a bonus one, even though I only said three. Purpose brings persecution. We have an enemy, and the enemy does not want us plugging into our purpose. The enemy does not want us discovering our purpose. He does not want us walking in our purpose. He does not want us fulfilling our purpose. And so one of the enemy's main methods of discouragement, of attack, is to cut us off from purpose, to disconnect us from purpose, because without purpose, we can't persist. Without purpose, we have no passion. Without purpose, we have no perspective. All he's got to do is just divorce us from purpose. And yet when you read the Bible, the Bible is eminently clear. Ben, I'll get you to jump up and just play some magical keys for me. Thank you. Um, Eminently clear that persecution is par for the course. 
in the life of every believer. I would say if you're not experiencing some sort of persecution, then maybe you need to look at how you live in your life. I think Bill Johnson said it once. If you never bump into a demon once in a while, maybe it's because you're all heading in the same direction. Ooh. Ooh. Shut up, Bill. Ooh. <clears throat> right? Purpose brings persecution. And purpose comes from Jesus. You know, what did Jesus say about persecution? He said, uh, in this life, you will have trouble, right? What did he say? He said, pray for, he said, love your enemies. How many, do you know what you need to have if you need to love your enemies? You've got to have enemies. You can't love your enemies if you've got no enemies. He said, pray for those who persecute you who falsely say all kinds of things about you. You can't pray for those people if you don't have those people. Like, it's just par for the course. So yes, purpose brings perseverance. Yes, it brings passion. Yes, it brings perspective. But it also does come with a fair share of persecution. But when it comes, you take it as an endorsement that you are doing something that's worth trying to stop. The disciples were arrested. They were thrown in prison. They were flogged. And all of that persecution came because they were doing something that the enemy was trying to shut down. And yet the Bible makes it very clear. If it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. When you are doing something with God, when your purpose has come from Jesus, you can't be stopped. And if anyone tries to stop you, they end up fighting against God Himself. That's pretty awesome. Amen. That's pretty awesome. Why don't we close our eyes this morning? I'm just going to pray. And I'm just saying to God, do you want me to do anything else this morning, God? Father, I just pray for every single person that is here this morning that's watching online or even listening afterwards. God, that you would burden us with glorious purpose. Father, open our eyes and our hearts to what it is that you have called us to do, who it is that you have called us to be. Lord, I pray that you would bring clarity where you need to bring clarity. You'd bring wisdom where we need wisdom. Lord, for everyone here and watching at home that feels that maybe they have 
being disconnected from their purpose. God, I just pray in this coming week for a reconnection, a reconnection with you. And through that, Lord, just a a repurposing. God, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you have prepared good works in advance for us to do, as your word says. Thank you that you have created us to be missional. That you have entrusted us with the most important job in the history of the world, which is to tell people about you. God, I pray that as purpose comes, that we would see an increase in our lives of perseverance, that we would see an increase of passion, that we would see a healthier, eternal perspective start to develop in our lives. And God, I pray that where we need to make adjustments that you would show us where it is we need to make adjustments. Thank you, Lord, that your word is filled with promise and that if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. Can I just encourage you this morning, church, as you go home and as you start your week to not just let this morning's word just fall off but to actually go home and meditate on it. Talk to the Holy Spirit about it. Ask yourself the question, do I know what my purpose is in this season? Do I know why God's got me doing what I'm doing, working where I'm working, fellowshipping, where I'm fellowshipping with, hanging out with, who I'm hanging out with? Why, God? Why why have you got me doing this? There's a verse in the Bible that says, test yourself to see whether you are in the faith. There's nothing wrong with stepping back and saying, okay, bit of a self-health check. How are my persistence levels? How are my passion levels? What's my perspective on things? And then be prepared to lift up that purpose rock and see what's underneath it. And can I encourage you to spend time with him this week? Reading your Bibles, maybe watch a little bit less Netflix, a little bit less Disney Plus, a little bit less Amazon Prime, a little bit less Apple TV, a little bit less Neon. There's more, isn't there? It's ridiculous. Right? Turn the TV off one. Just have like a, I'm going to have a TV free night. Just going to pray. Just going to sit in the dark. And let God talk to me. He's got a purpose for every single one of us. And we have to understand what it is because it's not an overstatement to say that the world depends on it. If these guys can fill the city of Jerusalem in a matter of weeks or months, what could we fill over the coming years? Not just us, but every other church that's meeting this morning in Christ's church. Tell you what, I think that we live in a city with the single most awesome name on the planet. me a wave. You guys good? Happy? All right. It's quarter to 12. Go and find someone to say hello with, grab a coffee at the end. Feel free to say, hey, which one of those three kind of stuck out for you? If there's anybody here this morning that wants prayer for anything, uh, just come on up the front. We'll get a couple of people up to pray with you. Um, Anything at all, that's fine.
Otherwise, have a great Sunday. Enjoy the rest of your week. I'm not here next week. I'm up in Auckland speaking at a little wee church in Papakura, which is going to be fun, but I will be back on Monday night for Steve McCracken. So have a great week, and uh, we'll see you on Monday night. Okay? God bless. See you later, everybody at home. Have a good week.